Welcome to PeopleTech, the podcast of the HCM Technology Report. I'm Mark Pfeffer. Michael Fitzsimmons, the CEO of CrossCheck, is my guest today. They just published their Q report, which offers insights that can be used to hire, retain, and develop your workforce. The latest report also begs some questions, like why are employers releasing workers with higher quality scores, how do Indeed and LinkedIn measure up against each other, and how valuable are self-assessments? We'll talk about all of this and more on this edition of PeopleTech. Hi, Mike. Welcome back. Crosscheck recently published your Q report, and it had some surprising findings. Could you give me a high-level view of the findings and what you make of them? Yeah, I, so a couple of things. One is just to, to, to orient your audience in terms of what, what our Q report, report is. And so we, we you know, Crosscheck's in the business of providing hiring intelligence for companies, helping them better understand kind of all aspects of their hiring process. And so one of the things that we focused on really heavily is this idea of connecting outcomes, um, you know, with, uh, with hiring decisions, you know, not just did we get the butt in the seat quickly, but how did that butt in the seat ultimately end up performing? So the Q report is our sort of cut at sharing some of those insights uh, to help better inform and educate about the things that we're seeing in the market. So this is our actual second uh, Q report that we have published, and we have another flash Q report coming out this week, which is pretty cool. Um, and you know, we we dug into a number of different a number of different topics, um, ranging from DNI and what's happening with diverse hiring to what's happening around quality of hire with uh, folks that we're letting go in our layoff process across across the board. So there's a number of cool things in there uh, that we can dive into. Yeah, I mean, one thing that caught my eye in the report it it looks like employers are often laying off employees who actually have higher scores. Um, than than the people they're keeping. What's going on there and and what's the background? Yeah, you know, one of the things that it's tough, right, in terms of we've all been through these processes and and how we're making decisions around workforce optimization. I think what we found is that oftentimes companies are flying blind and ultimately these decisions are made with a fair amount of recency bias, frankly, on behalf of whoever the the manager uh, is. You know, oftentimes what happens is we get a piece of paper pushed across the table that says, hey, Mike, I need you to reduce your headcount by, you know, 500 grand. So go find me six employees to make that up or whatever that number is. And subsequently, it's, it becomes less of a data-driven process and more of a, you know, subjective feel. And there's a fair amount of recency bias we've found, uh, certainly with this concept of last in, first out is a real thing. So, you know, those employees that we more recently hired... Uh, we're actually more likely to be let go in a workforce optimization uh, exercise. It, it strikes me that could also make for some more tenuous or, you know, um, difficult conversations when you're laying people off. Do you see that dynamic at all? Does it does it make the process a little more fraught than it used to be? Yeah, I think so. And And if you actually think about how kind of absurd it is that we're correlating, you know, we, we've, we found that just there is not a, a, a correlation between sort of a direct correlation between tenure and performance in that regard. You know, if you think about that, that idea that, hey, we just hired this individual, we're incredibly optimistic, they're going to be this great performer. And then just like that, 
right? We've made the decision that no, they're not. They no longer. They no longer are. So um, anyway, it's a thing, and it's just something we we have to encourage all of our customers and broadly all of our companies to be cognizant of. And 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 from our perspective, it's just it really comes down to this idea: Are we using data uh, in order to inform these decisions? So are we actually looking at you know outcomes associated and and using that kind of data? So whether it's how they impact our culture or their performance and all the all the rest of it. That's that's really a key part of the whole of the whole exercise here. You know, another thing that caught my eye was um, this discussion you had of candidate self-assessment. And you found that those can actually be more accurate than assessments that an employer might do in traditional ways. And what's your thought about that? It it, it struck me as kind of interesting because you would think people would sort of try to blow themselves higher or make themselves bigger. Yeah, it, it does show you how nuanced it all is, right? And how various roles and, and some of this feeds into, and this is a, what we're talking about here is a lot about soft skills. And one of the findings was that, you know, as an example, someone in an outward facing sort of sales oriented role, if they demonstrated high confidence, borderline bordering on arrogance, during the assessment process, it actually turned out to be a good predictor of future success, right? So there was one of those things that don't misinterpret that and look at that as a negative, whereas in other roles in the organization, that might be, you, you might find a higher correlation or a lower correlation to success based upon based upon that. And if you're you know in an engineering role or project management role where the focus is more around collaboration and things of that nature, you actually might want someone who's got a little bit more self-awareness and a little bit uh, a little bit less arrogance in that regard. So there's very interesting stuff. And I think it just points to this idea that, you know, different roles demand different characteristics of our employees and of our talent. Do you find that hiring managers understand that kind of subtlety? Um, or do they have to be educated about it? Or are they just innately making good decisions? <laughs> I think they have to be educated about it. You know, it's it's funny that you bring that up. We're doing a tremendous amount of work now around skills and competencies specifically. And, and you know, it's, it's, I don't know, there's a lot of talk in the market about this, but the reality is, you know, no matter how much hard work we do to help educate our hiring managers, that the skills and competencies that might lead to a top performer in your organization may be different from what you think they are. Getting the hiring manager to build that muscle and trust it <laughs> is a challenging thing. At the end of the day, so often it comes down to the gut, their gut instinct. And you know, subsequently, we, we all suffer the consequences of that. So I think it is a challenge. It's a great question. And that's part of the, for the whole industry to move forward, we have to get, you know, we have to get the full hiring teams in alignment um, with this idea of how do we kind of use data more effectively uh, to make our decisions. You know, skills has become such a you know big topic over the last, you know, year or 18 months. And I'm, I'm wondering, are there, do, you, do you find there are some ways that are better than others to evaluate a candidate's skills and, or, or a current employee's skills for that matter? You have to kind of chunk this up into at what point in the talent life cycle you're looking to make that evaluation, right? And so certainly post-hire, it is easier to do, right? It is easier to better assess that individual based upon um, you know, their willingness, frankly, to participate in the, in the process in order to gather the appropriate data to do that evaluation. But I, I think that pre-hire, that's a complicated riddle, right? And it's, uh, it, it's this idea of, hey, are there verified skills? Do you actually trust 
that the skills that they claim on their you know LinkedIn profile or on their resume are actual skills? How do we actually evaluate for those skills in the assessment process? How do we evaluate for those skills and competencies in the interview process, right? And frankly, are we even looking for the right skills and competencies? Where, where we have really pushed hard, and I, I come back to this idea that CrossCheck uses outcomes, 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 in order to inform our talent decisions is, you know, unless you understand the correlation of what you think are the right skills and competencies to a predicted outcome from a performance perspective, it's all for naught anyway, right? And so what we have found so often is that companies may go hire some third-party firm to come in and do an audit and tell them, hey, this is what your top performers look like. Go find more of those performers. But those models quickly become stale and the ability for the entire talent you know, ecosystem within the company to actually source for that talent, assess against that talent, interview for that talent, develop against that talent, against those skills and competencies, it's a, it's a complicated riddle. So there is a, a lot of break points along the way right now. And I, and I think you know, we're hopefully doing our part to help connect a lot of them, but it is, it is a challenging riddle for sure. Faith in the news media has been challenged, making it even harder to get stories told. The Friday Reporter podcast was created to help audiences better understand the media by hosting journalists who will answer the questions to which we need answers. Join me every Friday to hear more. Well, it, it, I mean, it seems like, you know, if you've got a bunch of discrete skills and you've got a bunch of talent acquisition people out there trying to find the right candidates, that's not a small job. I mean, skills, the need for skills will evolve and some skills are hotter than others. And how how do you face that kind of challenge? Well, I think this is where, to be to be honest, where machine learning and data and all the exciting stuff with generative AI and whatnot is so helpful. It, it really truly is. You know, when you think about the ontologies that have been created, you know, the, the sort of public ontologies all the way down to the various providers that have their own proprietary skills ontologies where they've made some assumptions about here's the skills and competencies that, you know, for these jobs that uh, are required. The reality in practice is those things evolve they're different based upon what the company is, right? They're different based upon the, the time and place for the company. You know, what's the state of the market for that company? There's just so much nuance to it. And I think that's, the, that's one of the challenges here is this has to be company specific. It has to be time specific. They have to be learning at, right over time. You know, there's something as simple as, I'll give you a very discreet, simple example. If you're thinking about a sales hire, and you're hiring for a salesperson that's maybe in a, in a SMB sales role, well, your anticipated time to productivity or ramp time for that individual is very different for a sales hire that you're hiring to sell into the federal government, right? Just as, a, as, a, as an example, which will have a multi-year sales cycle. And so, you know, and that the, the skills and competencies associated with that sales role are very different than the skills and competencies associated with, you know, an outbound SMB uh, sales role as an example. So, I think there just is so much nuance to it that you have to actually have a system that is learning as it goes and that is actually connected with outcomes. I really think that's the only way you can you can win here. But once you do it, <clears throat> you unlock some incredible some incredible power, right? You do increase your odds, and that's the game here. Is if we can just move the move the dial by you know a couple percentage points, we can have a material impact on our on our outcomes. Um, I wanted to change tracks a little bit because I was I was really interested in your discussion about um, Indeed 
compared to LinkedIn and, and the quality, I guess, of, of their postings or results. And I wondered if, if first, could you sort of tell me like the background of, of that question, why you decided to look um, at, at those numbers? And um, yeah, why don't I start there and then I've got to follow up. Yeah, you know, one of the things is, and we had two sections in this Q report about source of hire, and, and a lot of our customers have been pushing really, really hard on this specific subject, right? And and really understanding quality of hire by source. And this might seem so simplistic, but, you know, most companies don't have a good ROI metric based upon what is their largest spend in talent acquisition, which is sourcing, right? They, they oftentimes look at their cost per hire, but they don't take it all the way through to the outcome side to fully understand, right, the ROI associated with that hire. And so as part of that exercise, what was just fascinating to us, especially in the, in the knowledge worker sector, you know, the traditional bias has been uh, that, frankly, LinkedIn is a significantly better source of hire than Indeed is for knowledge workers, right? That's sort of the bias within the industry. And you see that based upon the spend that companies are deploying on LinkedIn uh, for knowledge workers than they're spending on Indeed. And that's the thing that popped for us. Like, oh my gosh, you know, that's a, that's a myth busted. You know, you, you, you can find just as, just as high quality talent for your knowledge roles on Indeed as you can, you know, potentially on LinkedIn. And I think that was the inspiration for it. It just kind of jumped off the page for us and frankly surprised us, surprised a lot of our customers who have just, you know, historically thought of Indeed as more of a, you know, place to go get high volume, high volume labor than as a place to go get, you know, really, really, uh, you know, sort of knowledge workers and that, that sort of thing. So that's why it jumped off for us. And we thought it was worth publishing and including uh, mm -hmm. in the report. And I will say, we saw plenty of other data in here that showed in different pockets of higher types where companies were just ROI negative on their spend on some of these platforms, right? It was amazing where you're saying, hey, I spent, we have one platform, I won't, I won't mention who it is. And one client has spent $11 million on this specific uh, on this specific job board, uh, only to find out that they had 187% turnover on those hires that, you know, 75% of those hires didn't make it three weeks. And that when you actually did the math, they were upside down, right, on that investment. And so mm. it was just a fascinating, you know, what we want to try to do is empower our customers and our clients to change the narrative, which with their, you know, with their suppliers and their, their, their vendors, right, when they can go back to the table and say, hey, I spent 11 million bucks with you, but guess what? At the end of the day, if I look at that from a loaded cost per hire of the people that actually turned out to be successful, I'm, I'm running four times what I thought I was running. So I think that whole conversation has to change. Uh, I don't think it can change until you have outcomes associated with your data and you can kind of better measure it. But that's where it came from. And, and the, the difference between the two in, in your scoring was only about a point. So I guess the surprise was that Indeed was even up there, not, not to mention- exactly. Yeah, hundred percent. And it's, yeah, I'm with you. The, the, the materiality of the, the Delta is not, not that substantial, but it is just the fact that they're in the same conversation. And that was a thing that I think was eye-opening for us and for our customers. Like, oh gosh, okay, maybe I should do some additional testing here and put some more dollars towards Indeed, right? Uh, to fill these, to fill these valuable roles. Changing tracks again. Um, your, your discussion of diversity and what's going on with DEI was was interesting. Um, you showed that diversity hiring decreased about 11%. And, you know, I was reading that just about the time that the Supreme Court overturned affirmative action for college. 
and discussion started to bubble up about what might happen to um, you know similar programs in the business world. So is that diversity hiring number uh, an indication of a bad situation getting worse, or you know do you have any thoughts about what it might mean? I have lots of thoughts, um, and I and I and I it's a hard one. The bad situation getting worse is a is a is a tough one because I think also there was such a big push um, over the last, you know, in 21, 22 on this topic that, you know, part of this might be that supply was exhausted in some instances, right? And subsequently, uh, that's part of the discussion. And that, that's a piece where we have to go a layer deeper on that to, to fully understand uh, this kind of at a regional level and, and that sort of a thing. But the, the piece that was concerning for me was the uptick of terminations of diverse hires, right? I mean, that was the other piece of this, which was, gosh, we're hiring less diverse talent into our companies. We're also letting go um, of, of more diverse talent in our companies, right? I think that we saw a 9% increase in diverse talent terminations uh, versus the prior 12 months. So that was, a, that was also a head scratcher, you know, in terms of the compound effect here. Um, and understanding how those two things are correlated is, is you know, it's a, it, it is a complicated, it's a complicated riddle. But I do think that the the number of DNI leaders that I talk to that are that are you know saying the same thing that despite our best efforts, you know, we're not convinced we've made the progress that we hoped we had made. Mm -hmm. Certainly at a systemic level, I think that's a, I think that's a real thing, and I think that's what our what our data is telling us. The why on that, the why we haven't made the progress, I think goes back to that a more nuanced question around where are these pools of talent? You know, I think I think our companies are trying really hard. I really do believe that to be true. You know, I think our companies are trying really hard, but I also think that the data says that we're not making the progress that we're we 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 hoped we would be making. And when when you talk to these people, do they sense that things are going to get better, get worse, or just kind of stay the same for a while? Yeah, it is. It is. There's a malaise for sure. And I, I wish I had a more optimistic view and I wish I had a catalyst, frankly, for another wave of energy into the topic. I think that we've unfortunately seen DNI budgets get cut in our organizations. We've seen a number of DNI leaders that, you know, are, are have been part of these kind of layoffs that have gone down. There's just a lot. There's a lot uh, of that energy. I'm, I'm concerned that that we will take our foot off the gas. You know, I think that's a that's a real thing. And I think, you know, we, we, it's incumbent, frankly, upon all of us to keep the topic top of mind and to keep publishing data on the topic. That's the, that's from Crosscheck's perspective and our, our role in this. We think as long as we keep on it and we keep companies accountable and we keep publishing their data so they have access to it and they understand the nuance of what's happening, you know, just look at these two insights. If you were running an organization and I came to you and said, hey, you're hiring 11% less diverse talent. And by the way, you're, you've had a 9% increase in terminations of the diverse talent that you have hired, right? Mm -hmm. Give you those two data points. You know, hopefully you can take action against that and at least be a little bit more aware of exactly what's happening in, in, your, in your company to try and take that on, so. Um, just one more question, and, and actually it's about cross-check. Um, a couple of months ago, you, um, you bulked up cross-check insights and cross-check voice products. How's the reaction been, and are you happy with how it's playing out? Yeah, you know, and, and, and to take a step back as to why we did that, you know, one of the things that we realized is that we had built an incredible muscle 
um, in terms of getting direct insights from talent and from leaders and that sort of thing. And, and we really hadn't done a good job of breaking that out and productizing that. And I think broadly, we'd look at the employee listening market as a, you know, still, I think we're in the early innings of, of really um, having sort of the solutions of tomorrow in the market as it relates to employee listening. So uh, we thought it was the right time to do that and cross-check voice, both with our combination of our ability to do, you know, timely uh, surveys, multi-channel surveys, as well as all of our different integration partners with like the slacks of the world and those types of things, and the work days of the world and our ability to listen to this talent data. We just thought it was time to sort of clarify that that solution set was available and could solve a whole bunch of more business problems. So it's been really helpful for us from that perspective. The market reaction has been positive. And it's been a good good point of clarification for us in the market, so so companies can can think about us the right the right way. Um, you know, our insights suite of products. You know, we made an acquisition last year of a company called Talentwall, really focused on talent acquisition, recruiting, benchmarking, and insights and things of that nature. Uh, we also have our quality of hire uh, analytics and insights products, and we just also thought it was important to, you know, be able to separate those two things for our customers. So. If you really, at the end of the day, most of our customers are buying both of the both of the product sets, but you know there are some that are coming to us just because they need better listening, and there are some that are coming to us because they need better analytics and insights, and we're happy to happy to support them. Mike, it's always great to talk to you, and I appreciate your time today. Thanks for thanks for stopping by. Yeah, I appreciate it. I appreciate you uh, taking the time and having an interesting cross check. Today, I've been talking with Mike Fitzsimmons, the CEO of CrossCheck, and this has been PeopleTech, the podcast of the HCM Technology Report. We're a publication of Recruiting Daily. We're also a part of Evergreen Podcasts. To see all of their programs, visit www.evergreenpodcast.com. And to keep up with HR technology, visit the HCM Technology Report every day. We're the most trusted source of news in the HR tech industry. Find us at www.hcmtechnologyreport.com. I'm Mark Pfeffer. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We We out. The world's best known investor and Wall Street expert Warren Buffett once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.